It's a movie. It's a dream. This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreicho, and I made a mistake this time, Stephen. I bought the book in ebook form because habits because what? fiction come on fiction i always buy my fiction unless it's like really really good fiction in ebook so you bought penumbras in real fiction book yep. then we'll get to that later though readers you did i respect that fiction can be more disposable but i'm actually kind of glad that i bought this one in paperback i'm wishing i had my name's steven caradini and today we're going to talk about contact by carl sagan and before we do anything here, the reason that we're doing Contact by Carl Sagan is that we were like, oh man, we've done a whole lot of philosophy from the 80s. If we do Technopoly... It'd be good to just get some fiction and change up the decade. And No, we did it wrong, Stephen. We did, we did it, it wrong. wrong. We, picked a, we picked a book that was published in 1985, <laughs> which is like square in the decade that we're trying to avoid. Talking about the same basic kinds the same of things thing. the same we're thing. really bad at like, this listeners apparently well well this tells me two different things one that like the 80s were a time that they were doing this through <laughs> that they were the times and two that we don't research dates before we actually pick things we, we should do that next time but we can guarantee we that should. at least two more of the books that we're reading the rest of this season will not be from the 80s because one of them yeah is Next month's book, Zainab Tufekci's Twitter and Tear Gas, which was published in the 2010s, which is about as close to contemporary as we get, except even more contemporary is the other book we're planning to read by the end of the year, which is Robin Sloan's Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. And that was 2012. So, <laughs> Very contemporary yeah. for winning slowly. Very contemporary. So, so we'll finish that, that out. But now we're going to talk about a book from 1985 oh, yeah. that has some 1985 concerns for you. You mean the peace movement and nuclear weapons make a, an appearance again? Multilateral nuclear disarmament <laughs> being the whole point of this book? Yes, I mean that. <laughs> it's like a novelized version of Ursula Franklin. Uh, it really is. It like really is. So... If you're not familiar with Carl Sagan, if you're less than 30 years old, you may not be because the man died in the mid-90s. But if you were older, perhaps than 30, and you have some familiarity perhaps with his PBS television show. Cosmos. Or if you're even older than that, his books or public speaking appearances. Mm -hmm. He is a famous scientist. And I don't say that lightly. Like he was like the Bill Nye of his era. You could also think of him as being kind of like Neil deGrasse Tyson, except a, a bit better at the communicating things and eh. less on the being a stick in the I mud. I mean, we're going to get to some pretty blunt <laughs> arguments. Let's be fair. It's true. It's true. But blunt argument is not quite the same as stick in the mud. Well, there's that. But there are times when Tyson has some nuance. Mm -hmm. There's times when he doesn't. And in this book, there are times when there is nuance, and there are times when there are not. And then there are the times when he's talking about nuclear disarmament. Well, and also uh, <laughs> fundamentalism. So Yes, yes, both of those. So, 
Carl Sagan is a scientist. He's an astrophysicist. He's famous. Mm-hmm. He loves outer space. And interestingly, his career was mostly dedicated to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, which is probably one of the world's most expensive failures in terms of its achieved goals. If it is the search for techno signatures, it has found none in the entire 60 years. Now, it's found a lot of other things, which is not a total failure, because like when you're looking around in the, the garden, you may find some other plants, even if you don't find a fairy. But <laughs> tell me how you really feel about alien life, Stephen. <laughs> yes, listeners, 60- Stephen did just say that said he was the equivalent of looking for fairies in your garden. After 60 years? <laughs> What do you think? Let's talk about the Fermi paradox later. No, but that's part of this book. It it really is. I had to introduce this concept. (laughs) But fairies. The whole book is about SETI. Yes. I'm just taking the role of one of the characters in this book who feels approximately the same way I do, and it's the villain, and I'm the villain in the story. There you have it, listeners. Steven is the villain of this podcast. Uh, Episode. (laughs) The villain of this podcast episode. I don't know. You were also the one who was pro-virtual reality, so... mm. Yeah, but I also got uh, self-driving cars completely right. (laughs) Every passing year, I look better on that argument and you look worse. But I wasn't the bad guy there. I was just wrong. Well, that's fair. (laughs) But you made me the bad guy in the virtual reality argument. I was just wrong. You think I'm bad. I mean, you read Ray Kurzweil. You decided you were bad, too. Let's be honest. No, I decided that Ray Kurzweil's vision made me uncomfortable with a stance that could eventually end up anywhere near Kurzweil's. Steven is the villain of this podcast. Okay. Getting back to the book. See, this is really what we did this whole season for, reader, dear listener, is that in the future episodes, we're just going to keep referencing these books over and over again <laughs> and the episodes that we did about them. But the point is, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence is critical to this book. Yep. It was roughly 25 years old in 1985, and they had found nothing. one weird... No, they found the wow signal. That's true. One weird, unexplained signal that was short, but potentially something... It's never been fully explained. Some people have explanations, but we'll link it in the show notes. But Carl Sagan spent a lot of time doing SETI work. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote a book here about like how I want the rest of my career to go. It starts off with a person being born and going through her childhood and her high school and her college and her grad school and her postdoc and her it's very very literary steven's making this sound like it really drags on but this part of the book was actually pretty good characterization work it was good characterization work but it takes until literally page 70 it's true for anything to happen debatable for anything that's directly aligned with the rest of the plot yep i'll give you that the first 70 pages is very much let's set up our lead character ellie arroway and paint her motivations and help you understand who she is and why she is. And also, let's say a bunch of things about how senior white male scientists are jerks to women, especially. Which is especially true. Especially in the era especially Sagan in was era. writing about. Very true. So the first 70 pages is basically just an extended polemic about how men then and sometimes still in the sciences were totally jerks to women in the sciences and if you were a woman trying to work in the science things were bad because sexism and makes 
makes a nice case for it while giving you yeah. a good picture yeah. of Ellie Arroway. And sets up some of the other characters, too. Mm-hmm. And I made a mistake. It's page 60, not page 70. Okay. So, a little better. So, sets up this character, Ellie Arroway, who's a astrophysicist, astronomer, and is working in a huge, actually it's called the Very Large Array in New Mexico. Yep. Also, there's a segment where she's working at the Arecibo receiver in Puerto Rico. And voila, an alien signal. That's where the book starts. An alien signal actually happens. SETI succeeds and finds a techno signature. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And then the politics begin. Indeed. But not in the way you would think, because these are optimistic idealist politics, and they don't work the way that like actual 1980s <laughs> politics work to be fair he did have good representatives of what 1980s politics looked like it's just that they didn't win unlike the actual 1980s where they did win it's fair that the idealists in general didn't get their way so much in the 80s although the 80s went better well, than some of the idealists of. thought it might have given how the 80s were carried out that's a conversation for another day it is and actually part of this is like not idealist because it's in the mid 90s that this happens and the Soviet Union still exists, which is actually not what happened. It's true, which is a really hilariously strange bit of cognitive dissonance. Every time I would be like, wait, the Soviets, I kept having to relocate it mentally because I kept thinking, no, but the Soviet Union ended in 1989, Carl. (laughs) Right. You wrote this in 1985 that you didn't know the future. It's fine. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so the techno signature arrives and it becomes a race to decode it. But also, and this part is totally believable, they have to relay the information to various radio receivers and telescopes around the world because of the shape of the Earth and the arc of radio waves over time and over space means that you need to have multiple telescopes and receivers pointed in the same direction over the whole world so that you can keep the message when you go behind the signal, when you go behind the earth, essentially. Basically, radio set instead of sunset. You have to deal with it. That's right. And so they uh, annoy the American government and send the information to (laughs) the Chinese and the Russians and then the Australians. And then the American government is like, that seems bad. And Ellie Airway is like, losing the message seems worse. And they were like, not really. (laughs) She also makes the point that anybody paying attention would notice it anyway it's not like it's (laughs) something you can control it's out there in space so you can't keep it a secret anyway although part of the whole problem of seti is that no one's pointing a camera at every part of space at the same time so like it's true unless it was super loud which he tries to make it super loud and establishable you could hide something like this for a good long while if you wanted to if you were pointing at a random piece of space now they make it from vega which is not Not a a random random piece piece of of space. space so It is a little bit more likely that that would happen. But anyway, so this all starts to churn. And so when it gets out into the news, the book really begins, (laughs) in my opinion. Like that's That's when things start to go, go crazy, which is we start getting doomsday preppers, cults, religious, everything, Mm -hmm. everything religious. Conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. Church attendance goes up. You start getting people who want to worship aliens. You start getting all sorts of crazy things. You start getting terrorist groups. All sorts of things. Spoilers. The terrorist groups will be important later. Yeah. Just 
everything goes bonkers all at once, which in a weird way made me feel like, oh, look, it was not just us <laughs> in the 2010s. Everyone, even in the 80s, was like this. Yep. It comforts me. It doesn't like solve the problem, obviously, but it's a little bit comforting. It's a strange form of comfort, but I understand. Yeah. Like, oh, we're not unusually bad at this. It's maybe accelerated, but like, look, people been doing this. Yep. I mean, if this is the optimist version, too. <laughs> it's true. Like, it's true. Woo-hoo. Though Sagan was not especially optimistic about many things about human nature. He was optimistic enough yeah. to think that the better parts of our human nature would win out in the end, even though it would be a lot of work to get there. Yeah. Collaborative science and collaborative multilateral peacemaking efforts, which honestly, Barbara asked me after reading this and watching the movie, which we'll get to in a minute, like if I thought that it would happen the same way, if this techno signature was discovered today and I was like, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, similar, not a whole lot of ways that, it would be different because ultimately like the federal government would be like, we're in charge now. And then you would like multilaterally work with other nations, even if we didn't like them because alien threat, yeah. <laughs> and maybe threat, maybe not threat, maybe but if threat, you're in the right. federal like, government and the military is involved, they're going to think it's a threat because that's, well, their I mean, job. that's their job to protect against exactly. threats. Like I ain't got a problem with that. And, and Sagan actually does a good job throughout the book and the movie does this as well, though with a bit more of the ham-fisted caricature thing going at times. But in both cases, of painting people as mostly just being true to their motivations based on their backgrounds and their jobs. Drumlin. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Who I am in this book, actually. Yeah. But, you know. But that's where the rest of the book goes, is they start deciphering yeah. the message. And the message ends up being a diagram of a machine that they can build. But would be really, really hard to build. Yes. It's huge. Lots of size problems and lots of material science problems to solve. But there's enough information there for them to do it. And after much discussion and long... Actually, side note, there is a beautiful, and I do mean beautiful, discussion of technical communication in that section. It made me, (laughs) like almost weep with happiness your professor's heart was warm oh my gosh they're like it tells us to do everything in an absurd number of steps like even stuff that we could have figured out yeah (laughs) yeah aliens perfect technical communicators and they they actually make the point that it also repeats things (laughs) repeats things every time we have to do it they give us the same instructions over again yeah (laughs) yeah Yes, there will be no ambiguity in these instructions and steven's heart was so warmed i love everything about it the aliens are awesome (laughs) the aliens in this book awesome technical are actually awesome on a variety of awesome (laughs) i hope if there are aliens out there they're like this yeah (laughs) i certainly hope they're like this and not like independence day or something right (laughs) after some some much discussion and a great long meeting in Paris arguing about what they should or shouldn't do. They decide to build the yeah. machine, and so they build the machine. Yeah. And then, remember, I told you kids it was going to be on the test. The religious fundamentalism and the terrorism show up hand in hand, whoop, whoop. and people blow up the machine and kill the person who was ahead of Ellie Arroway in line to be in the machine when it went somewhere. Who was drumlin, weirdly. Who was kind of a jerk and who's kind of the villain? Her former PhD advisor and sometimes boss and cliff diver and frequent affair haver and general kind of yeah, jerk. Yeah, his 
But you kind of like him by this point, even all of though I mean, all of those things. Yeah, I mean, he does a really good job of explaining people that he must have known. Yep. <laughs> yep, that's right. And uh, that is but we we can talk about this more in the next episode, but I liked that he generally painted people sympathetically. Like even Drumlin yeah. who's kind of a jerk. Well, and Drumlin saves, he saves Ellie the day from repeatedly. dying. Yeah, he saves Ellie's life. Yeah, he life. saves her from dying during the explosion. But then, of course, this is a problem because they have no machine to do this thing. But a secret multi-billionaire who's basically Jeff Bezos before Jeff Bezos existed. Oh, my. Steps in to save the day. He does. And I'm not joking. He really is Jeff Bezos before Jeff Bezos existed. Oh, yeah. Up to and including 100%. the casting in the movie. Yeah. And <laughs> specifically the fact that he like sort of has like ambiguous goals. Mm-hmm. He just like wants to use money for fun things ish like he has a whole sequence where he explains what he's doing and ellie walks away thinking like wow that was creepy and i was like yeah you're right ellie that was super creepy and i'm uncomfortable yeah Yeah. and actually it serves a really interesting point because like there's a chapter earlier where the fundamentalists get into an argument with the scientist and it is every bit of ham versus nye and it's awful and i was like ah like both the scientists and the fundamentalists are making the worst versions of their arguments it's obnoxious yeah it's really bad and so i was like come on sagan like don't do me like this and so then we get to like the the industry versus science and i was like oh wow they come off worse (laughs) yuck okay that's acceptable sagan i take it back a little bit but weird man like you're freaking me out (laughs) turns out he had secretly been building a second version of the machine. There's a machine. They can use well, it. Well, and 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 like there's also a, a funny joke about like the Japanese had been building all the parts because the Japanese had declined to have a person in the machine. Right. Um and they just wanted to build the parts and he was like, "Yeah, I just they got to test the parts, you know." <laughs> like no, they don't have to like build the whole other machine to test all the parts. Ah, so, also, so. for all that Sagan was big on mutually respectful disarmament etc unlike some of the other people we've talked about he didn't have any shame at all in saying the u.s is better at things than the soviets are he was very happy to say that oh yeah no not at all so they put the machine together and they they have five people in the machine um, from various constituencies and they start up the machine what does it do no one knows and they fall through a wormhole, a generated wormhole that the machine made. And they go on a space tour of various galaxies. Well, various star systems, our galaxy. Star systems, right. Because they talk about other mm-hmm. galaxies, yeah. And they just sort of are in awe of this, but they don't really know what's happening. It sort of feels like a roller coaster because they go into a wormhole and they come out of a wormhole. They go into a wormhole, they come out of a wormhole. <laughs> and then they realize that they're on an interstellar subway. <laughs> And they're just making stops at uh, various stations that have no one to pick up. And then they eventually make it all the way to the center of the universe. Galaxy. Galaxy. <laughs> Sorry, I did almost major in astrophysics as an undergrad, so... And actually, actually, it is galaxy because the center of the universe plays a role in the plot. So, my bad, people. <laughs> there, they meet aliens an actual alien which is great because like the aliens never appear until the very end of the book and the aliens very cleverly download most of the contents maybe all of the contents of all of these five scientists minds and then present themselves as someone the scientists love for ellie it is her deceased father with whom she never 
got to really wrap things up because he died and she was sad and as you would be. This was part of the backstory that gets established in the beginning, and Sagan pays it off, pays yep. it off well. Uh, well, he t- well, and then he gets it all weird again at the end. Yes, he I does. Ain't gonna let that pass. Yes, he does. But but he pays off this part nicely. He does, and he does uses it as a vehicle both to provide Ellie some resolution and also to answer a bunch of questions and pose a bunch more about where humans are at in the universe. And the aliens actually say that they basically they've been around for millions of years does he say millions or billions millions and all of this technological infrastructure that they're using including the subway system including this huge space station that they're talking on these aliens did not invent it was there and they found it and the aliens who made all of it are long since vanished and no one knows where they are so it's mysteries on top of mysteries and then they send all the humans back and ah, 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 you missed an important part, which is that the whole book is about, we'll get to in this next episode, but the whole book is about the tension between religion and science. Like, how much do you have to believe for religion? How much do you have to believe for science? And, and to what extent does experience provide legitimate grounds of knowledge epistemically? Mm. We'll talk about this a mm-hmm. lot in the next episode. Yeah. And so... The alien, who is her dad, tells her, again, in terms that she can understand, Mm -hmm. that hidden in pie, Mm -hmm. essentially, there is a message if you go far enough, and it's there to establish that there's something else in the universe. If you find it, then you can say, oh, we found that there's something else in the universe. There's an order to the universe. And so she says, okay, that's weird. And then they like send her back down the Mm -hmm. chute. And when they get back, zero time has passed. And no one believes them. Yeah. Because zero time has passed. Now, in the book, they actually make a distinction Mm -hmm. about how this works that they change in the movie. In the book, they have the the science advisor to the president, or no, the military advisor to the president, just like read them the riot act and say like, look, there's no way. We are going to tell anyone that this stuff happened. That all sounds insane. You guys didn't actually leave. This would be terrible. We're going to put y'all up in nice careers forever. Sign this NDA. This is all over. And if you break it, we will ruin we you. We will end you. And it's it's like it's one of the scarier sections <laughs> of writing I've read yeah. in a long time, which makes me feel like Sagan may have been read this act <laughs> once or twice. Maybe he really did know about Seti Steven. I mean, I, that's this is the only part of the book that makes me believe that <laughs> in a significant way, because I read that. I was like, that's too real. <laughs> I'm not I'm not cool with this. So they just say that the machine didn't work and that there may be something out there. But who knows? And maybe it's a hoax. Who knows? And they, uh, yeah, they they just send Ellie back to the very large array. She gets back to work, but she sets up a computer to calculate just pi, pi. And just keep calculating and just keep calculating. All the way until the point that her dad wasn't her dad anymore. Yeah, that was a really weird thing, but she at least now had the emotional maturity to deal with it. There's a long, complicated <laughs> part of the story there. Honestly, I think he could have skipped that part of the plot and it would have yeah. been fine. Yeah. I mean, I think it's supposed to speak to like belief in that like she believed this guy was her dad and he was still her dad, even though he wasn't really her dad because she just believed that he was her dad, which like 
if you're trying to parallel the science or religion with that, doesn't kind doesn't of work, work that way. <laughs> Neither of them make so that kind not, of claim. Not a thing. But then, but while she's thing. thinking one night, Ding. her computer finds a pattern deep in pi. In pi, and it's a circle. Once you decode it and whatever, it makes a big circle. Which, for listeners who may not be remembering exactly how pi comes up in math, pi is involved with computing the radius of a circle. Of a circle. And so he leaves you on that note of like, does science mean that there is religion? Does religion mean that there is science? Can they get along? And then he closes Tune the in next time. The music at the beginning of the episode was It's a Movie, It's a Dream by Josh Caress. Weirdly, we managed to mostly avoid talking about the movie. But we'll I get, can sum it up gonna and get say... There. We'll talk about some of the critical differences in the next episode. It's like 80% the same, though. It is. It's very similar, but with some interesting and noteworthy differences. Well, I mean, they had to edit in Matthew McConaughey. Like, let's get a shirtless dude in this piece. That's that's true. Thanks to Josh Caress for letting us use this music. As ever, please don't use it without permission, but go do buy it. It's a nice track. You should listen to it. It's fun. Yeah, it's super great. Josh Caress is one of my favorite artists. This is his first album in five years. All of his work is great. His first album, or the first album that I was introduced to, uh, is called uh, Letting Go of a Dream, and it is one of the best albums of the OOs. You should check it out. If you'd like to support us, then like you that. can... We'd like that. Josh Kress would probably like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm extrapolating. But you can do so at Patreon slash Winning Slowly. And you can also do that if you want to give a direct donation to cash.me slash dollar sign Winning Slowly. And uh, we use it to keep the lights on here. At this point, we mostly uh, supports our twist application, which is how we plan all the episodes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so via Facebook at Winning Slowly Podcast, via Twitter, at Winning Slowly, or best and most likely to get a reasonably timely response by emailing us at hello at winningslowly.org. I will say to the one listener who's a friend of mine who texted me wanting to know about our thoughts on the relationship between evolution and science, man, I told you you had to email me. Also, we're kind of going to mention that in the next episode. (laughs) It'll come up. Kind of. But maybe I'll actually so, get around to writing up something somewhere or at least responding to your to your text message, man. But seriously, uh, the email's where it's at, people. <laughs> you should have just sent back a 2,000-word text. <laughs> yes, yes. Here's what you get. <laughs> Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. perhaps the oh dang it what is his name the guy who shows up and is like but science to every science fiction movie and you're like yeah we we know dude it's okay neil degrassi yes thank you i was getting neil but i kept wanting to go to neil patrick harris and that is not the same (laughs) (laughs) you know what carl sagan is not the neil patrick harris of anything Just well, actually, I mean, if we're talking entertainment value, he does make science entertaining. Yeah. So maybe he is the Neil Patrick Harris and, of science. And, and, I don't and know. let's be clear, he's gonna be a great blooper. Car- Carl Sagan was way better than Neil deGrasse Tyson at this, but yes, this will be an excellent blooper. To be fair, he did have good representatives of how actual 18, 1850s. I don't have any idea where that <laughs> 1850s, <came from>. but <laughs> talking about the King of Prussia. <laughs>